Dear Father in heaven, your children are gathered here once again to receive strength and help and blessings from you. We thank you for the blessing of life that you've already given to us and we also thank you for the blessing of health and security, peace and we also thank you for the basic necessities of life which you provide for us. Our spiritual meat is what we want from you now as you've given to us other temporal things. So we pray that as we go through your word that we will find in it things that will sustain us, that will prepare us for the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Put your words in my mouth and grant me of your spirit and also grant your children who are listening of the same spirit that we all may rightly divide the word of truth and be blessed with your word. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen. and Courage, September 10. Ezra, Student and Teacher Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. Ezra chapter 7 verse 10. Born of the sons of Aaron, Ezra had been given a priestly training and in addition to this, he had acquired a familiarity with the writings of the magicians, the astrologers, and the wise men of the Medo-Persian realm. But he was not satisfied with his spiritual condition. He longed to be in full harmony with God. He longed for wisdom to carry out the divine will. This led him to apply himself diligently to a study of the history of God's people as recorded in the writings of prophets and kings. He searched the historical and poetical books of the Bible to learn why the Lord had permitted Jerusalem to be destroyed and his people carried captive into a hidden land. He studied the instruction given at Mount Sinai and through the long period of wilderness wandering. As he learned more and still more concerning God's dealings with his children and comprehended the sacredness of the law given at Sinai, Ezra's heart was stirred. He experienced a new and thorough conversion and determined to master the records of sacred history, that he might use this knowledge to bring blessing and light to his people. Ezra endeavored to gain a heart preparation for the work he believed was before him. He sought God earnestly that he might be a wise teacher in Israel. As he learned to yield mind and will to divine control, there were brought into his life the principles of true sanctification which in later years had the molding influence not only upon the youth who sought his instruction, but upon all others associated with him. Ezra became a mouthpiece for God, educating those about him in the principles that govern heaven. Whether near the court of the king of Medopecia or at Jerusalem, his principal work was that of a teacher. As he communicated to others the truths he learned, his capacity for labor increased. 
he became a man of piety and zeal. He was the Lord's witness to the world of the power of Bible truth to ennoble the daily life. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Ezra, Student and Teacher. And this devotion sets the stage for something that we will say perhaps is the most important prophecy for our time. A long neglected book called Ezra. How many know that this book contains an information that is so key to our present dispensation telling us why we are here and the work we need to do. In the second year of King Darius I, the temple was completed like we saw in yesterday's devotion and then there was another work that was needed in order for the plan of salvation to be accomplished. The work needed to be done was the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem as prophesied by Daniel. Now another man was needed for this decree to be given. Remember that Gabriel had told Daniel in the book of Daniel 10 verse 12 and 13 when he said, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come forth for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to me, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. What is this Bible passage telling us? What is Gabriel saying to Daniel? He's simply telling him that behind the scenes, a battle was raging among principalities and powers. Satan well knew that the plan of salvation which God had prophesied since the days of Adam was fast coming to a time when its accomplishment would be ratified. Satan understood that in Daniel chapter 9 verse 24, when the Lord said to Daniel, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for the iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Wow, Satan understood to anoint the most holy. What did this mean to him? Adam was told and Eve also in Genesis chapter 3 that there was a promise of a seed of the woman that was coming and God said to Eve and to the serpent, said to, he said to him that she, the seed of the woman, shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. The seed being referred to here is the anointed one that was said now that was going to come. And now a time was set for this prophecy to be fulfilled. This prophecy that God gave to Eve that time. Now Satan is hearing it's about to happen. Now, during the days of Darius I, the great, who permitted the completing of the temple, the Lord was raising up another man called Ezra for another important work that was going to be done. He was going to help in the building of the city of Jerusalem and trying to ensure that the 70 weeks given to the Jews, that is 490 years, if you translate 70 weeks in prophetic time, 490 years, God said that that 490 years was to be used to bring everlasting righteousness in Israel. This prophecy foretells a work of reformation that was to be done in Israel and this work of reformation was in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. But how could this reformation be achieved? There's only one thing that can bring about the reformation. Great Controversy, page 476 to 478 tells us, 
it is only as the law of God is restored to its rightful position that there can be a revival of primitive faith and godliness among his professed people. Where does the Lord of God ought to be? It's supposed to be in the temple. What part of the temple? In the most holy place. Where in the most holy place? Inside the Ark of the Covenant. Only when the law of God is restored in the temple then can there be a reformation. The building of that temple is symbolic of a restoration of something that was going to be a brother, uh, that was going to have a broader application in the whole of Israel. Ezra was the man chosen for the restoration of the law of God that will bring about a reformation. And this reformation that was to be brought in Israel, Gabriel told Daniel very clearly that 490 years was given to them for this work so that they will be ready for the coming of the Messiah. In the book of Ezra 7, reading from verse 1, it says, Now after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Seraiah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah. That's why he came into the picture. Verse 6 says, This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was already scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him, hear this, the king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. Verse 10 says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. This is where we get the title, Ezra, student and teacher. He was a student in that he sought the law of the Lord and God taught him. And after being taught, he said, I will do, and after doing, I will teach. This was the work of Ezra, a very important work at the time. Remember what we read in the devotion that Ezra had so studied the law of God from the beginning to the end, he had studied the history of Israel to understand why they were taken as captives because he wasn't alive then. His, his life, he's living in the days of Esther, the queen. The king that is Artaxerxes here of Persia is the husband of Esther. That's the person that he was living under his time. Ezra must have studied the writings of Daniel also and understood the time that he was living in and knew that this was a time for moral reforms in Israel. He realized that Israel had departed from God in so many ways. He would read his Bible, he would read the law and he would check the people and he would say, do you know that we're not supposed to be doing this? Do you know that this is how our worship style is supposed to be? Do you know we're not supposed to be wearing these kind of things? Do you know that the seventh day is the Sabbath? Do you know that actually Daniel, our own brother, was once a prime minister of this kingdom of Persia and also the kingdom of Babylon? Do you know that he chose not to eat food sacrificed to idols and he chose to practice health reform? He would not eat any flesh food. Do you know that Daniel was like that? Do you know that the Lord has raised us up as a special people? He would compare his people and compare them with the word of God and see that they had departed from the word of God so much and he knew that there was a reform to be done among his people. He knew that his people had departed from God in many ways and God needed someone to stand in the gap and teach the people of his ways and his law. Ezra was stirred by God for this work. He studied every detail of the word of God and determined to practice and teach the people. We are told in the book Great Controversy, page 478, paragraph 3, like I've read before, it is only as the law of God is restored to his rightful position that there can be a revival of primitive faith and godliness among his professed people. Thus saith the Lord, 
Stand ye in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest to your souls, for your souls. That's Jeremiah 6 verse 16, end of quote. You see, this spirit of Ezra is the spirit of those who must please God in all things. We ought to be dissatisfied with anything short of meeting the full requirements of God's word. Too many times we permit our false education, false ideas, our inclinations and desires to come in the way. Our preconceived opinions, if not given up, will lead us in a direction to reject some of God's word, picking some and choosing others and throwing away some others. Ezra decided that he was not going to pick and choose with God's word. For him, there was no spiritualizing away the plain text of God's word. He prepared his heart before reading. That whatsoever he read in the word of God, whether it goes against his inclinations or his previous education and his upbringing, his mind was, I am going to do it. Through this decision that Ezra made to study God's word and to do it, because that's what we read here in Ezra 7, very key text here. Ezra 7 verse 10, Ezra had prepared his heart, firstly, to seek the law of the Lord, secondly, to do it, and thirdly, to teach in Israel statutes and judgment. Through this decision that he made, he was fitting himself for one of the greatest works accomplished by men. The Lord was going to use him to achieve the the commencement of that 2300 days prophecy seen by Daniel almost a hundred years earlier. In order for us to fit ourselves as workers for God and teachers of his word, we must have this spirit of Ezra to remove all of our own obstacles to understanding his word and also decide to follow whithersoever he goeth. Many are afraid to read God's word for fear that they will see something which will cut them off from their own desires and attachments and that the thing will require a cross from them. God cannot work with you if you are among those who are afraid of reading his word because you are afraid you will see something that will change your life. As it was in Ezra's day, so it is now. Before the coming of the Lord Jesus, there needs to be a work of reform done in our lives. Teachers like Ezra are needed, not only who not only who know the word of God, but those who practice like Ezra the principles of the word of God. These are the ready scribes of our time. People who can read the word of God with the understanding and explain it to the people that they will get it clearly. But how can we become like Ezra who the Bible says was a ready scribe? Jesus said in Matthew 13 verse 52, Then said he unto them, Therefore, every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. Hmm. So God is saying that in our time, if you must be a scribe, you will be a householder that brings forth treasure out of your bag, things that are what? New and old. Who are scribes? Scribes are teachers. And today, that is the place of the disciples of Jesus. All disciples are supposed to be scribes. These scribes are likened to householders according to the word of Jesus Christ. A householder's duty is to provide for the house, to give them something to eat, give them real food that will sustain them. And Jesus said, every scribe that is instructed in the kingdom of God, he is like a householder. If you are truly instructed in the kingdom of God, you will have food to give to those who are under you. That will be food that is new 
and food that it is old. They didn't just say new food. He said both new and old. That's what Jesus said. So the scribe will bring stores, old ones, and also bring new harvest from his storehouse. Today, scribes are needed who are instructed into the kingdom of God, bringing from the word of God things new and old. That is, bringing old truths into new light as we do here. We are bringing old truths into new light and making them relevant for our time and proposing new truths in harmony with old light. He will not bring only the old or only the new, but he will bring things new and old. The ready scribe will not reject the old testament but will teach it as well as the new testament in harmony with the old and not in conflict if you are a ready scribe you will not see a contradiction between the old testament and the new testament of god's word you will see the new in light of the old and you will bring the old in a new perspective to all who are living in your time in such a way that it will apply to our present situation that is the work of a scribe and that is the work that Ezra was going to do for his people those who have had the privilege of being instructed in the things of the kingdom should be willing and ready to instruct others in the things that they have received Jesus said freely you have received freely give so how can we qualify ourselves to be ready scribes for our time Apart from the fact that we read that Ezra was someone who was studious, he knew about the knowledge of these magicians, the knowledge of the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, he had studied all those things. Why is it important to have known these things? Because it will help you to reach out to those who know these things too. You can understand them. But then, that was, he wasn't knowing those things so that he would practice them, but he just understands that this is the way these people think. So also with us today. You can know the way the people around you think, not so that you can practice what they are practicing, but so that you can enter into their minds and bring the gospel to them in a very clear light that will be applicable to their time and to the knowledge that they have. But in order for us to do this, we must first sit down to be taught. We must first be students. Then we must practice before we can teach. So let us talk about what it means to be a good student of the word of God, like Ezra. Remember that Ezra was raised up for that work that Gabriel said needed to be done, which is that they were supposed to bring in everlasting righteousness, put an end to their sin and take away all transgressions. That is the work that Ezra was going to do. In order for him to do this work, he needed to be a studious person, one who has sat down at the feet of Jesus. But when you sit at the feet of Jesus, there's a mindset you must come with. If not, you cannot be a leader for those who will reform. Messages to Young People, page 260, paragraph 1 and 2, tells us the mindset that we must have if we must be ready scribes. So listen carefully to this. It says, in your study of the word, lay at the door of investigation your preconceived opinions and your hereditary and cultivated ideas. You will never reach the truth if you study the scriptures to vindicate your own ideas. Leave these at the door and with a contrite heart go in to hear what the Lord has to say to you. As the humble seeker for truth sits at, the, at Christ's feet and learns of him, the word gives him understanding. To those who are too wise in their own conceit to study the Bible, Christ says, You must become meek and lowly in heart if you desire to become wise unto salvation. Do not read the word in light of former opinions, but 
with a mind free from prejudice, search it carefully and prayerfully. If as you read, conviction comes and you see that your cherished opinions are not in harmony with the word, do not try to make the word fit these opinions. Make your opinions fit the word. Do not allow what you have believed or practiced in the past to control your understanding. Open the eyes of your mind to behold wondrous things out of the law. Find out what is written and then plant your feet on the eternal rock. End of quote. Oh my. Because many people don't have this mindset, they can never become ready scribes like Ezra. If you come to the word of God, already having your preconceived notions and your former education and all you are coming to do with the word of God is to justify yourself, then consider yourself not being a student of Jesus. If you are a student of Jesus, just, I'm not saying literally now, but figuratively remove every knowledge from your head that you have ever had drop it aside and come to Jesus empty that he may fill you because if you come with your preconceived notions your prejudices and your former ideas you will continue having a clash with Jesus your opinions and his opinion will keep clashing and it will look to you like maybe I'm not getting what he's saying have you ever been in that situation where you read something in the word of God and you are startled everything is clear but you can't just believe that that's what you are reading so you reject it because to you it cannot be that the Lord will be saying this I've been in such situations in those days when I started studying the word of God because I had my own preconceived notions and ideas what I just read for you now was something the Lord spoke to me with many years ago and I said praise the Lord this is exactly what I should do there were times when I was wondering all these laws and statutes in the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus are they relevant for our time what are we using them for and yet I read the word of God saying that these things are perpetual laws they are everlasting and all how and then you ask yourself are these things to be practiced today and then you go to the New Testament sometimes and you read certain things and people struggle with it and they're asking is it true that the Lord is saying we should do this my brothers and sisters the reason you're asking this is because you have a preconceived idea if you want to understand the Word of God you must drop your preconceived idea and there's a rule that you must follow reading from the book great controversy page 597 we are told from paragraph 2 and 3 the truth and the glory of God are inseparable it is impossible for us with the Bible within our reach to honor God by erroneous opinions many claim that it matters not what one believes if his life is only right but the life is molded by the faith if light and truth is within our reach and we neglect to improve the privilege of hearing and seeing it we virtually reject it we are choosing darkness rather than light so what am I trying to bring up here? I'm trying to find out why is it so important to read the word of God with this attitude of dropping our prejudices, our former opinions, our traditions and our former education. Continuing the reading it says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 16 verse 25 Ignorance is no excuse for error or sin. When there is every opportunity to know the will of God, a man is traveling and comes to a place where there are several roads and a guideboard indicating where each one leads. If he disregards the guideboard and takes whichever road seems to him to be right, he may ever be so sincere but will in all probability find himself on the wrong road." End of quote. 
This is why we must not come with our own preconceived ideas because it is your ideas that form your action and your action is what determines your destiny. If you take a road that you are read that says this is where you will end, that is where you will end. If you neglect the right road and your heart is so sincere and say I sincerely enter the wrong road, what are the chances that you end up in the right place? If you look at it reasonably, there is no chance, absolutely no chance. Our destiny is determined by our beliefs and our beliefs shapes our actions and our actions shape our character. A wrong interpretation of God's word will lead to a character not in harmony with the truth and as far as God judges us by our works and motives, wrong motives and wrong actions will lead us to the wrong place. An example is among the people called the four people of Papua New Guinea. These people sincerely believed that eating the brains of their ancestors will confer to them the same power and courage and character of their ancestors. They developed an incurable disease called Kuru. Some people call it BSE, that's bovine spongiform encephalopathy, and the man who discovered it, they named it after him, Krusfeld Jakobsen disease. Now, these people, the four people of Papua New Guinea, they sincerely believed what they believed but their sincerity did not stop them from having this disease. That is how it is with our salvation. If we sincerely believe the wrong principles, be you ever so sincere, you will end up in the wrong place. And this is the reason why sincerity is not all that is needed. We need to rightly divide the word of truth. Study it carefully. Drop your sincere opinions. People will say, oh, my sincere opinion. What has the truth have to do with your sincere opinion? The truth is the truth, regardless of your sincere opinion. You read the word of God and it is telling you plainly, this is what you should be doing. Drop your sincere opinion and follow a plain thought, says the Lord. Messages to young people, page 261, paragraph 1, on page 260, and down to 260 one actually it says our salvation depends upon our knowledge of god's will as it is contained in his word never cease asking and searching for truth you need to know your duty you need to know what you must do to be saved and it is god's will that you shall know what he has said to you but you must exercise faith as you search the scriptures you must believe that god is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him Oh, search the Bible with a heart hungry for spiritual food. Dig into the word as a miner digs into the earth to find the veins of gold. Do not give up your search till you have learned your relation to God and his will concerning you. End of quote. Amen. Now, another important thing we are to do when we are studying God's word is that we must have reverence to his word. Ezra was reverent with God's word. He had studied over the years and the history he had seen of his forefathers taught the constant lesson of reverence to God's word. What do I mean by reverence? The highest form of reverence that we can show to God's word is obedience. Is it a form of reverence when you are speaking to a king, for example, and he tells you to do something and you keep questioning him and second-guessing him and doubting him? That is a form of irreverence to the king. Reverence to his word, to God's word, is not about acting all pious before the king. Imagine coming to the president and you say, oh, yes sir, yes sir, and then you are acting, oh, your highness, your excellency, but whatever he tells you to do, you don't do it. Is that not disrespect? It is. Matthew 21 verse 28 to 32, Jesus talked about this when he said, but what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, son, 
Go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he repented and went. And he came to the second and said likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father? They said unto him, The first. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not. But the publicans and harlots believed him, and ye, when you had seen it, repented not afterward, that ye might believe him. This was a story Jesus told to rebuke those who acted as if they are worshippers of God, they believe in God, but their actions were saying things otherwise. Luke 6 verse 46, Jesus said, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, as if you are reverencing me, Lord, Lord, but you do not the things which I say. What is the point of calling God your Lord, oh your highness, your excellency, all those words you call to people, but yet you will not do him the reverence of obedience. The best way we can reverence God is to obey his word. When we see passages in his word that are hard to be understood, reverence for God's word means that we are to humble ourselves and admit our finite nature and our lack of understanding. Admit that the fault is not in the word of God. The fault is in me. The fault is in yourself and not with God's word. Don't say, oh, the, the Bible is confusing. Oh, it's contradicting itself. No. That is no reverence when you say that. If you must reverence God, you say, I am the problem. My finite mind finds it hard to comprehend his word. But the word of God is very plain. And all we need to do is find out what it is saying and do it just like Ezra. Great Controversy, page 598, paragraph 2 says, It is the first and highest duty of every rational being to learn from the scriptures what is truth and then to walk in the light and encourage others to follow his example. We should day by day study the Bible diligently, weighing every thought and comparing scripture with scripture. With divine help, we are to form our opinions for ourselves as we are to answer for ourselves before God." End of quote. So talking about reverence, this Thing we are supposed to do reverence in obedience, although there's still other ways we can show reverence, like we read here in Messages to Young People, page 261, paragraph 2. We should come with reverence to the study of the Bible, feeling that we are in the presence of God. All lightness and trifling should be laid aside. While some portions of the word are easily understood, the true meaning of other parts is not so readily discerned. There must be patient study and meditation and earnest prayer. Every student as he opens the scripture should ask for the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit and the promise is sure that it will be given. The spirit in which you come to the investigation of the scriptures will determine the character of the assistant at your side. Angels from the world of light will be with those who in humility of heart seek for divine grace. But if the Bible is opened with irreverence, with a feeling of self-sufficiency, if the heart is filled with prejudice, Satan is beside you and he will set the plain statements of God's word in a perverted light. End of quote. So, the mindset matters. The mindset with which you use to come to the word of God. Do not feel self-sufficient. Realize that you do not know anything without Christ and come with that mind. Now, 
the other thing we must do something sometimes we read the word of god and you are confused because if you are like ezra and you want to do a work of reform today in your life and you pick the word of god you pick it for example the bible and then you open it and you are seeing something that is strange to you for example some of the things in the word of god like even peter said that paul wrote some things that are hard to be understood and there are some practical things that you read but because we think it is impracticable we say to ourselves, it cannot be what the word of God is saying. That's not the attitude we should have. If you come with that spirit, you will not understand. But we must read the word of God as plainly as it speaks. Great Controversy, page 598, paragraph 3 says, The truths most plainly revealed in the Bible have been involved in doubt and darkness by learned men who with a pretense of great wisdom teach that the scriptures have a mystical, a secret, spiritual meaning not apparent in the language employed. These men are false teachers. It was to such a class that Jesus declared, You know not the scriptures, neither the power of God. Mark chapter 12 verse 24. The language of the Bible should be explained according to its obvious meaning, unless a symbol or figure is employed. Christ has given the promise, If any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine. John 7 verse 17. If men would but take the Bible as it reads, if there were no false teachers to mislead and confuse their minds, our work would be accomplished that would make angels glad and that would bring into the fold of Christ thousands upon thousands who are now wandering in error. End of quote. So, pick up your Bible, whatever you read there, as plainly as it is saying it, except it is something that is a figure then that is when we should say okay this is not plain but if you read a very plain instruction telling you this is what you should do that's exactly what it means and that's what we should do in our subsequent devotions we will see how ezra read some tough bible passages and when he read these tough bible passages how he did not spiritualize away its meaning but he took it literally plainly as it was spoken and did exactly what he read just stay tuned in our subsequent devotions, we will see that. I think when we read in the devotion that is titled Build, Restore, I think that should be in 20th of the month, we'll see that. So it is impossible to properly understand the word of God if we don't come with the constant knowledge that God loves us and is wiser than us. Why do I say this? Without this constant mindset that God loves me, and God is wiser than me. If you don't have it in your mind, you will keep doubting and second-guessing God. We will keep resting his words out of his true meaning. The God who told Ezekiel to bake his bread with human feces and eat it, and told Abraham to sacrifice his son, and told Hosea to marry a harlot, and Isaiah to walk naked for some days, 40 days I believe, and permitted his apostles to all die in the hands of their enemies. He is a wise and loving God. He is the same God in Isaiah 53 verse 10 who we read of that was pleased to bruise his son on the cross. Do not think for God. If you were the one that God came to like he came to Ezekiel in the book of Ezekiel 4 and told him, I want you to bake your bread with human feces. That is the what you call, what you say is the sheet of the human being bake your bread with it and then eat it in the presence of the people and then tell them the way we are eating i'm eating this defiled bread that's how you are going to eat defiled bread in babylon what would you say you say oh no i, I don't think i heard very well maybe he's trying to give me a symbolic thing and were you the one that 
if you were to be like Abraham that God said to you to take your child and sacrifice it, would you smile and say, okay, I get the message. You're just teaching me a spiritual lesson that says that I should be ready to give everything for the Lord. Not that I should sacrifice my son. Or if the Lord told you like Hosea to marry a harlot, what would you do? You say, I know what the Lord is saying. He's just trying to give me a symbol of something. You must know these men were listening to the plain word of God and they did what God asked them to do. Ezekiel himself had to plead and say, Lord, I have never eaten anything defiled in my life. And God told him, I have changed the human feces for you. Instead, you can take cow dung and use it to bake your bread and eat it in the presence of the people. And he did it. Isaiah was told to walk naked for some time to show the people what is going to happen to them. They say his buttocks will show. And were you to be the one that the Lord will say to that, say that to, would you take it plainly or will you spiritualize the meaning away? These men, they were prophets of God because they could hear the word of the Lord and not allow their own preconceived ideas, their own opinions and their own desires and prejudices to come in the way between themselves and the word of God. If we must be reformers today, we must be ready to follow the Lord with us wherever he goeth. And that's why I said love and the wisdom of God should constantly be on our mind because that is what challenges us. We are wondering, it cannot be God who is telling me to do this. If he loves me, he won't say this. If he if he is wise, he won't say this. Trust is what you need to have. Trust his wisdom. Trust his love. And you will know that it is God who is talking to you. Reading from Great Controversy, page 599, paragraph 1 and down to 3, we are told, we should exert all the powers of the mind in the study of the scriptures and should task the understanding to comprehend, as far as mortals can, the deep things of God. Yet, we must not forget the docility and submission of a child is the true spirit of the learner. Ezra was a learner and he had the spirit of the docility and submission of a child. Continuing the reading, goes on to say, Scriptural difficulties can never be mastered by the same methods that are applied, that are employed in grappling with philosophical problems. We should not engage in the study of the Bible with that self-reliance with which so many enter the domains of science, but with a prayerful dependence upon God and a sincere desire to learn His will. We must come with a humble and teachable spirit to obtain knowledge from the great I Am. Otherwise, Evil angels will so blind our minds and harden our hearts that we shall not be impressed by the truth. Many a portion of scripture which learned men pronounce a mystery or pass over as unimportant is full of comfort and instruction to him who has been taught in the school of Christ. One reason why many theologians have no clearer understanding of God's word is they close their eyes to truths which they do not wish to practice. As understanding of Bible truth depends not so much on the power of intellect brought to the search as on the singleness of purpose, the earnest longing after righteousness. And I would say it is that mindset of Ezra that sought the law of God to do it and to teach it. He prepared his heart. That's what we are reading here. It is not intellect you use to become a child of God. No. It is that singleness of purpose, that preparedness that Ezra had that says to yourself, I am going to open the word of God. Whatever I read, I will do. I'm not going to second guess God. I'm not going to doubt him. As I read it, that's what I'm going to do. Plainly, whatever I see. That is why many people do not practice the truth. They are using their intellect. And some things don't make sense to them. Therefore, they don't do it. 
There's nothing wrong with our intellect, but where intellect fails, we have to move by faith. Believing, because I understand what I'm reading is written in English, I comprehend it. Comprehension is not the issue, but the intellect comes in the way. After we have comprehended and you're saying, oh, God said Ezekiel should bake his bread with human dung. Okay, it cannot be that he's saying he should break it with human dung. That's your intellect coming in now. That's your intellect coming in the way. It cannot be because, and you start to give all your different reasons, and you say, okay, we don't know what the text means. Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. We don't know what that text means, but is it that you don't know, or you are allowing your preconceived ideas? Your intellect is clashing with the word of God so that you say to yourself, this does not make sense. It doesn't make sense. It is because you are finite. It is because you are not God. You must humble yourself and know that I am reading clearly what I'm reading. It's saying this. This is exactly what I'm saying. And I cannot see it any different way. The problem is with me. It's not with the word of God. And as we just read, that the reason why many learned men and theologians do not know the word of God is they are not learning in the school of Christ. The understanding of the word of God does not depend on our intellect, but rather on the singleness of purpose, the earnest longing after righteousness. That desire that I want to please the Lord, I want to do his will, that is what the understanding of the word of God depends on. If you don't have a desire to please God and to do his will, you will wrest his word out of his true meaning. But if you come with that those of a child saying I just want to do the will of God whatever it is no matter how crucifying it is in my flesh no matter the cross that is going to cause me to carry I want to please God and that is my whole aim finally continuing the reading great controversy page 599 paragraph 3 it says the Bible should never be studied without prayer the Holy Spirit alone can cause us to feel the importance of these things easy to be understood or prevent us from resting truths difficult of comprehension it is the office of heavenly angels to prepare the heart so to comprehend God's word that we shall be charmed with its beauty, admonished by its warnings, or animated and strengthened by its promises. We should make the psalmist's petition our own. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Psalms chapter 119 verse 18. Temptations often appear irresistible because through neglect of prayer and the study of the Bible, the tempted one cannot readily remember God's promises and meet Satan with the scriptural weapons. But angels are round about those who are willing to be taught in divine things. And in the time of great necessity, they will bring to their remembrance the very truths which are needed. Thus, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Isaiah 59 verse 19. End of quote. We need to be Ezra's today. And all we have studied now is about how to be a good student and a good teacher. The Bible says Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. And those who are reformers today, preparing the way for the second coming of Jesus, must say to ourselves, we are preparing our hearts to seek the law of the Lord, and not just to seek it, but to do it and to teach his statutes and judgments. Are you among those who will want to do this? Then we must pray together for the Lord to help us, that we may be leaders in the reforms that needs to be done now in our time. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, as we have studied concerning the work that you raised Ezra to do, we see that we also have a gap to fill today. You have prophesied about the scribes who will bring things new and old. Lord, make us these teachers for today 
who will bring things new and old to feed those in the household, that they may be fed, that your word may be rightly divided. Help us, Lord, to take away our preconceived notions, our personal opinions, our prejudices, our traditions and ideas that they do not come between us and your word, but that we, like little children, will take your text as plainly as it reads and put it into practice and teach others the same. Help us to this end. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen.